sportsmanship, Munz disappears. I love it. I love it. I love it. Time to bring the action. Nate Fletcher wins in San Diego. The Cowboy rides high in California. Yeah, welcome back. Another episode of SMX Insider. We are the Jasons, Wygant, and Thomas. Look, JT. You leave Anaheim one, RJ Hampshire and Jet Lawrence as the winners. That's not really shocking. They were favorites to win races this year anyway. But what has transpired since in Monster Energy AMA Supercross and the Super Motocross World Championship? Wild. When you consider both classes, maybe the most parody we've ever seen. Oh, how we were fooled. Uh, I remember leaving Anaheim one thinking, well, that went about how I expected. And that's how it's going to go. And we've gotten everything but that. Uh, there's been parody. And to tell me that Jet Lawrence was going to have one podium out of three races. I would have never believed you, yet here we are, and that's the situation we're in. So it's been a wild ride, we've had a lot of parody, and I think it's actually great for the series. And the rider taking over the points lead is not Cooper Webb or Eli Tomac or Chase Sexton or Ken Roxon. It is Aaron Plessinger, JT. Yeah, speaking of wild ride, uh, the cowboy himself, Aaron Plessinger, gets that win. And I think it's a story that we didn't talk about enough because he has looked better. That fourth place at Anaheim one, really a fifth place at San Francisco that should have been better. And then it finally comes true at San Diego and all the potential that we kind of saw building behind the scenes shows up. He gets that win and somehow has the red plate with four, five, one finishes. Uh, but yeah, what a story so far. And I think everybody in the pits is happy for the number seven. And then Nate Thrasher comes back from the dead. Two terrible races in 250 West to start the year and then wins round three. But that's kind of what Nate Thrasher does. His career has always been like this. And tip of the visor to our statistician, Clinton Fowler, who pointed out to us, every race this year, that's every main, every heat, every LCQ, has had a different winner over three rounds. That is nuts. But we know the man of the hour right now is Aaron Plessinger. So let's just continue the Plessinger party with our big interview. Okay, big interview time. We don't always bring riders on our show. We try to put the spotlight on people. You might not know what they do, but this is too good. It's just too good a story. we got to bring the cowboy on here. And we talked to you a lot after the race in the press conference. Great interview with Will Christian on TV. I want to get to this. Moving forward, okay, we know you're awesome in those conditions. You've always liked mud races. But you were also pretty darn good at Anaheim 1 in the dry. You told us in the offseason you had a lot of work on your riding style. Sell us on why this isn't just a mud race win and you can carry this forward. Yeah, man. Uh, thank you, by the way. And um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always liked the mud, but uh, obviously San Francisco didn't go my way. I spun off the gate. And um, but I also think that if um, if I were to go around the first corner uh, where I was at A1, I think it would have been a different story because I did make a lot of passes um, coming up through the pack. And I think I just I, I just blew myself out in those first 10 laps. And I was obviously catching chase and um, I made a few mistakes. And uh, yeah, like you said, I, I just feel really, really good um, on the bike, off the bike, whatever it is uh, about this year, I just feel really, really good. And I had a solid off season. And I think I can credit that to the fact that, um, you know, I, I didn't take too much time off. Uh, usually we're, we're taking, you know, five weeks to six weeks off the bike completely. And this year I, I didn't do that. I think I took three weeks off the bike and then two weeks off of training. 
Uh, so I think it just kept myself or my body in good enough shape to where I could come into the off-season training already ahead of some people. And, uh, and then the team just put together this awesome bike. You know, I, I came out here, uh, I think it was, you know, a month before the season and they had some stuff for me to try and, and it was awesome. And after that, I didn't really touch the bike too much. And, um, and it was just a, a really, really solid, good off season with not a lot of missed days. And, and I think that is, the most important thing you can do before the season um, to get ready for it. So uh, I don't know. I just everything's coming together, clicking at the right time, and and I do think that this weekend's going to be similar with uh, a lot of good starts. Uh, obviously, it's the Triple Crown, and and um, and yeah, I I think it's going to be uh, one of those things where where everything's gonna gonna fall into place nice. So, you know, I got the opportunity to speak to you right before opening ceremonies at Anaheim One. And I was kind of trying to gauge everyone. Like, everybody looks so nervous. And you can just see, like, they're white as a ghost going into that race because there's so much pressure on everybody for one race, which is silly. We know that, but that's what reality is. And then I look over at you and you're just kind of hanging out. You don't look nervous. You don't look like you're carrying the weight of the world on you. And I think your results so far have reflected that. But... But now you have this red plate for the first time. You get this win. Do you feel any different? Like you think you're going to be more nervous than maybe you were at Anaheim 1 going into Anaheim 2 with the red plate for the first time? You know, I, I really don't think so. Um, I I think, you know, I I thought this win was going to feel different in, in the fact that, you know, it's my first one and, and obviously I'm holding the red plate now. But I, I woke up on Sunday um, – and you know, I felt felt the same. Felt like the same me, and and I I knew, you know, Monday is going to come around, and, and we got some work to do um, this week to get ready for for A two and the Triple Crown. So I I feel like myself, and and obviously um, I've held a red plate before in two fifties, but that's that's a lot different than than this one. This one's a lot bigger uh, bigger of a challenge, but. Um, you know, given my results in the first three rounds, uh, I'm confident. I I know that that I've done the work, um, and I think that's why when you talked to me that day that day one, I I was calm and and nothing was really bothering me because I knew everything was done, the work was done, and now the uh, the fun has started. You told us in the off season you really wanted to work on your riding technique. Just tell us where that idea came from. Who did you work with or did you just figure it out yourself and, and what were you working on? What's the process of doing that? No, yeah, I, I, I didn't really work with anybody um, on that. I I mean, obviously, my dad is is always, um, you know, in my ear and, and he he really trained me from from when I was really young up until I, I went to Matt Walker's and and he was really, really big on on riding technique. So um, he's he's always just right there, just making me or reminding me that um, you know not to sag my elbows or not to you know dip my shoulders in the corners and stuff like that. So with um, with the bike getting a lot better this year, uh, I could actually think while I was on the track, and that was weird to me because usually we're we're just so focused on you know 
keeping the bike straight or, or missing this bump or missing that bump. And, and this year I didn't really have to worry about that. So I really just took it upon myself to, to just focus on what I couldn't think about in past years. And that was just, you know, where my elbows were, um, if I'm squeezing the bike or not. And, uh, in the, in the midst of things, when you can think about that stuff, it, it helps so much. And, and I think, um, everybody down at the factory, they noticed that, uh, especially when I came back from California, uh, testing, you know, the new frame and, and some new suspension, they, they really noticed that I, that I've turned it around and for them to notice that it's, uh, it's huge. And it gave me a lot of confidence to keep pushing on with it. This is such a popular win, but I think most importantly, people want to see more of it, right? That's the goal. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try to keep this thing as long as I can, man. All right. Hey, thanks for the time. This got to be a super busy week. So thanks for carving out a little for us. We'll see you uh, back in California again. All righty. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, I look forward to it. Oh, awesome stuff as usual from Aaron Plessinger. We learned a lot about the motorcycle right there. Keep an eye on those uh, big changes to the bike. And again, they will apply on any track. Uh, now, talking about motorcycles in a different way, we had our 50th anniversary race at San Diego that probably got overshadowed by the rain and controversy and popular wins. But at least when it was clean in the morning, we saw some really cool looks. We did. And by the end of the night, uh, all of those 50th anniversary looks were just brown. Everybody looked exactly the same. But but I love this stuff. Uh, you see the throwback stuff. And there's just so many different ways to go about this. Do you want to go to the 90s? You want to go try to be in the 70s like, uh, you know, Team Honda HRC did. Like, there's just so many different ways to kind of approach a throwback. And especially when you throw in the 50th anniversary aspect of it, man, the gamut is wide open. Yeah, we had some legends out there as well. They, the idea was to ride a lap of the track on the old bikes, but that got washed out as well. Uh, retro Bikes, Yamaha was in on this with multiple teams. They actually sell a 50th anniversary old school looking 90s Yamaha. They ran that look with Monster Energy Star Racing Squad and Club MX got in on it as well. And then they put those three bikes on the podium. Yeah, what a what a crazy turn of events. The last time they did this was Washougal last year and they swept the podium then again here in San Diego. So I would bet you somewhere in some boardroom in Cypress, California, someone's saying, okay, we're just running this look the rest of the year. If that's what the results are gonna be, everybody's running this look forever for the end of time. But uh, in all seriousness, it's a great thing. And, and to have that look, it had to be a great thing for Yamaha. And uh, part of that podium is Nate Thrasher getting his first win of the year. So we have three different 250 main event winners, as we said at the top of the show with Hampshire and Smith and now Thrasher. And then the three different 450 winners with Jet Lawrence and Aaron Plessinger sandwiched in between a popular win for Chase Sexton at round two. It's just crazy right now, but this is what mud races deliver. Yeah, it's uh, you get you're going to get things you don't expect just because of the conditions. And it was changing almost lap by lap. There were times where I thought that RJ was going to win. There were times where I thought that Levi Kitchen. And that's just how these races go between both classes. There's going to be shakeups. There's going to be unexpected mistakes. And that's the upside. You know, there's a lot of downside of mud races, but that's the upside is the unexpectedness and the parody. Yeah, it's fun. We're here for it. And also what happens in those lapped or in those races is lap traffic and that had a huge impact on the proceedings a rider got in march bank's way that might have cost him the win we'll talk about some hurt feelings in the 450 class about lappers in a bit but i want you to explain as a former racer why is the lap traffic so much worse when it's muddy 
Well, and, and it's a specific type of mud as well. You know, in San Francisco, there was really no good line at all. It was all a mess, right? So riders were all over the place. But on a track like San Diego, where it's drying throughout the night and the main event is the best the track has been, there's typically one preferred line. It's the driest line. You can do all the obstacles in that line. So everyone's piled into it. Well, that makes it harder to basically lap or overtake a lap rider because everybody wants to be in one spot. And for that lap rider to move out of the way, he has to make a deliberate move to get out of that that race line. And he's gonna lose a lot of time. So when you think about Chase Sexton or Eli Tomac in that dynamic, they're racing for championship points. They're desperate to get back to the front. They don't wanna move. They don't wanna give up two seconds in that one particular lap to move out of the way. Or if it was a dry racetrack, maybe they give up two tenths of a second to move out of the way. So it's a really, really big difference as far as how it's executed. And you saw that with Trooper Webb, some of the frustration he had with both Eli Tomek and specifically Chase Sexton. But I almost have to give them a mulligan because it is such a different dynamic. And also remember, those guys never get lapped, right? So to expect them to get it exactly right in one of the only times they've ever been lapped in their career, I think that's probably asking a bit much as well. And the one-line track also makes a difference sometimes on the lead lap. So this was talked about just a little bit. Jet Lawrence not happy with the blocking by Jason Anderson. You might see the somewhat aggressive pass Jet to Jason, but that's not really what it's about. It's about Anderson getting in Jet's way before that. And you can talk about, JT, what Anderson was doing in that situation. Yeah, so Jason Anderson's a veteran. He knows where the passing zones are going to be on a racetrack like that. And you get into one-lined areas where there's nowhere else to go. He's going to take his time. He's going to regroup. He's going to maybe pull a tear off. And for Jet Lawrence, who is desperate to get to the front, he still thinks he can catch Justin Barsha for a podium. It's infuriating because both of them know what they're doing, and it's very, very deliberate. So that kind of spilled over after the race. Tempers flared. I understand the, the frustration on Jet Lawrence's part, but you can't grab people, you can't touch him. You know, maybe say, hey, like, I, I can understand maybe having a word with him, but it, it went very, very far past that. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be very interesting to see where it goes from here because I don't, I don't believe this is over. I think we're gonna see more stemming from this incident. And I'll leave you from this with this. I don't ever think it's a good idea to play games with someone who is an expert in gamesmanship. You know, if you have one of the most aggressive or quote unquote dirtiest riders out there, some would say, that's not someone you want to start with. You want to start problems with. You don't want to be chasing a championship with a target on your back. Veterans know that. That's why you don't see Tomac starting things. That's why you don't see a guy like Chase Sexton getting in the middle of these things. And now Jet Lawrence is going to have this unique dynamic to deal with that he may not very much enjoy. Well, Lawrence's crew clearly knew this because they went out of their way to apologize through you because you talked to his camp, his dad, in our SMX Insider post-race show. But now we've heard via social media that Jason has not heard anything directly from Jet. It's just everyone around Jet that's apologized to him. Yeah, and I'm not so sure that Jet's sorry. You know, I think they're doing the smart thing by diffusing the situation. Because as I mentioned, they don't want this to spill over into future races. But deep down, I don't believe that Jet's sorry. I think he felt like Jason Anderson was doing this on purpose. They had some really harsh words with each other after the race. And I don't think that fences have been mended as of yet. So we'll see. Maybe nothing happens. But I would bet you if there's an opportunity for Jason Anderson to take a shot, I bet he takes a shot. And then another controversy, Cooper Webb not happy. He thought there might have been some team tactics at play because Chase Sexton made it easy for Plessinger to lap him. 
and then he came into contact with Webb when it was Webb's turn to get by. Yeah, and I don't necessarily think it was so much team tactic. I, I don't think Chase Sexton in that moment was, I don't think he cared at all what Aaron Plessinger was doing, right? This is the defending champion. This was the rider that had the red plate when the main event started. So as I mentioned before, he's in panic mode, just trying to get every point possible. And you saw that incident there. Cooper Webb forces the issue up the inside. Chase Sexton's not trying to be in the way there, right? Cooper Webb, I understand his motive too. He's trying to make the pass, but to me, that particular instance was not really on Chase Sexton. It was an unfortunate turn of events for Cooper Webb, but I think it was more uh, Chase Sexton just trying to get every point possible and hunt down Eli Tomac, who also happened to be right in front of him as well. Just incredible, all the emotions here. So you take all that anger, Webb's mad, Tomac, he's mad at Tomac and Sexton. Obviously, Lawrence is mad at uh, Anderson and vice versa. And then also, the feel-good, happiest win. I don't know if you can get any happier. Then, then this winner and everyone, how they feel about the Cowboy Aaron Plessinger finally getting one. Yeah, it's crazy for a mud race to have any emotion at all. You know, both people angry, people happy. It's usually kind of this benign event where everybody's just kind of cruising around. Just like we saw in San Francisco, there just wasn't a lot of excitement to be had in the main event. And then we get another mud race that's everybody's angry, everybody's happy. Like there's just craziness. You know, you see Kendall Plessinger there jumping on top of Aaron and yeah, it's, it's so funny how two mud races can be so similar on the track, but so different in how people react to them. Let's go back to the retro situation here. Uh, Honda, they've been really doing well whenever we have one of these throwback races. They celebrated their own 50th anniversary at the beginning of Pro Motocross in 2023 with some 1980-style bikes. This time, they set it all the way back to try to make modern bikes look like the silver metal look that they would have had in 1973 when their first motocross bikes came out and uh, complete with the stripe on the top. I thought that was cool. Yeah, this is a great look and a great throwback. And as I talked about before, how do you want to go about this? Which era do you want to kind of, you know, tip your cap to? And uh, I thought the, the Elsinore look here, Gary Jones is such a, such a prominent figure in the history of this sport. So uh, something unique. It wasn't what I expected for them to lean into, but I, I thought it was really well done. Yeah, Gary Jones was on hand. We had a chance to talk to him. It's really cool because uh, it's a big copy of what I raced back in my day. If you go back into, into the pits there, uh, you'll see my orange stripe on the top of the tank and the silver sides and everything. And, and these guys really worked hard to get it dialed in. Yeah, so the, the, the coolest part about all that, Gary's teammate in 73 was his brother. Sound familiar? Yeah, it's, uh, it must be something with the red or the Honda that they love that aspect. And why would you not? Um, you know, that that duo was lethal back then. And the one they have now is is just as good or better. Uh, so good good on Honda for HRC for kind of remembering that and, and bringing that back to life. Yeah, that was neat. Good for Gary for coming. We did have some bad news, though. Uh, we lost Gene Ritchie of Redbud, uh, founder, not that long ago. And now his wife has passed as well. We had a little memorial for her on the broadcast as well. Uh, it's kind of what happens when a sport starts celebrating 50th anniversaries. The first generation of people who helped found this were starting to see some sad news. So shout out to the Richie family. The son and daughter now run the track, but we'll miss Nancy and Redbud obviously is iconic. And what the Richie family has done is weaved into the fabric of this sport. Yeah, it's... Uh... Anybody who knows anything about this sport has heard of Redbud. It is such an integral part of this sport. It's, it's hosted two motocross, motocross of nations over the last five years. Uh, and to be celebrating 50 years of 
Monster Energy Supercross and to Wu's Nancy Ritchie, who has been a huge part of those 50 years. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's a tough thing, but also it's a, it's a celebration of life. They have been such a big part of the sport. Yeah, I'm sure it will be a big celebration when we get to Redbud in July. And really, no matter what race they go to, it feels like a party for the Troy Lee Designs team, always having a good time. And they have special reason to celebrate this weekend. Another one of the rando sponsorships that Troy Lee seems to put together. Ghostbusters, there's a new movie coming out in the spring, and they will be sponsored by that movie this weekend. And we hear the mechanics are going to wear Ghostbusters-style uniforms. So that's going to be interesting. I know that might seem like a distraction for the racing, but their rider, Justin Barsha, actually thinks this can be a benefit. Yeah, ever ever since I came along to the team, there's always been exciting sponsors. And then when Sony Sony Pictures came along, it was like, okay, this is really cool. We've done Venom gear. We've done um, some Spider-Man stuff. And now the Ghostbusters for A2. I mean, that's absolutely epic. So to work with such cool brands and to be able to do, you know, collaborate with movies and things like that and make our you know make our gear look like the ghostbusters and i know our mechanics will be dressed up pretty cool during the day and things like that so there's just a lot of for for me at this point in my career obviously i would i I think i'm probably too serious sometimes so i think having some stuff like that going on takes the the seriousness not the seriousness away from it but the it brings the fun factor up which the fun factor is so important when you're having fun everything's good And then we will have a tint of new school coming this weekend after so many lookbacks with the 50th anniversary race. And that is Anaheim 2 Triple Crown. That's still relatively new for Supercross. You and I love it. And to take this parody and this crazy season and then drop a Triple Crown in, that's going to be like a bomb going off. Who knows what we're in for this weekend? Yeah, we went from full mud and that dynamic two weekends in a row to the complete other extreme triple crown just endless action high paced intensity so we're getting it all this year Uh, i don't know what else they can throw at us in 2024 to to catch us by surprise now but i do love these triple crown events and i cannot wait for anaheim too time for fowler's facts we bring in the king of the calculator clinton fowler last week he talked about parody I would love to do it again because we have even more parody, but we cannot spoil this moment. Let's drill down on Aaron Plessinger and this very popular win. Give us some of the data behind this. Yeah, what a what an awesome weekend to see Aaron Plessinger get uh, his first career victory. Uh, he's now the 68th winner in Supercross history. And the cool part really is the win is just capping one of his best seasons ever. It is the best season ever, three rounds into it. He's got 60 points, a one-point lead over teammate Sexton, sits in first, got the red plate. His last season that he was even close to this was in 2022. He only had 54 points at that time. He sat sixth in the championship. That's the only other time he had a top five, three rounds in. And so, JT, I look at this, he's got consistency. He's the only rider with top fives in every single round. He's gone four, five, one. It's a different Aaron Plessinger relative to everybody. What's the difference for him this year? I think he's really comfortable with the motorcycle. And when you talk to him, there's just this air of confidence with him. And I picked up on it before the race at Anaheim won. He just looked so comfortable where everybody was so nervous and they you could see the nervousness in their face and their eyes and their and just body language. And he was not that guy. He just looked like it's another Saturday. I'm here, I'm prepared, I'm ready and his results have really backed that up. So whatever they sorted out with the motorcycle, whatever he's figured out with his own riding and technique, 
He just looks like a different guy, and he's ready to be the guy with that red plate. And, and it's showing up on Saturdays, which is the most important part. What's cool is this is the Mendoza line that he has now crossed. We have seen countless great 250 riders with multiple titles, just like Aaron Plessinger, move up. And then the question is always, can they bring that to the 450 class? And a lot of times they do not. So what does it mean here for him to finally get one of these wins? Yeah, Weege, it is that line. Um, he is now one of 36 riders to ever win both the small bike win and the premier class. In the history of the sport. Rider. 36, that's it. That's it? That's it. Wow. And and you look at the gate today, Weege, you look at it, there's seven riders that have done it, right? You got Eli Tomac, Roxon, Cooper Webb, Chase, Justin Barsha. Uh, Jets now done it as of uh, the first round here, Anderson, and now Aaron Plessinger. But there's 11 riders that are still active 450 guys that haven't crossed that line, which tells you how difficult it is, right? You've got guys like Adam Cincerillo, uh, Christian Craig, Colt Nichols, Dylan Ferrandis, like Hunter Lawrence still, still sitting there. Um, so it's just interesting to see that that line is so hard to do. And, and JT, what is it about it? What is it that the shift into that 450 class that makes it so difficult to get that win? Well, it truly is an all-star class, right? And, and you're just compiling the best of the best on top of each other. And especially when you have riders, legends of the sport, like Eli Tomac sitting there with 51 wins that are still there. They're still hanging around, right? And there's Cooper Webb, two-time champion, still in the class. It just becomes so difficult to not only beat your peers, the riders that you grew up in, in your era, you have to beat the legends of the sport that have been winning in this class for 10 years. So it's, it's a really difficult thing to kind of wrap your head around that you not only have to beat the, the best of the best that you grew up with, but you also have to beat some of the best riders that have ever done it. That's what it takes in 2024 to win in the 450 class. Another thing here, so Plessinger has the cowboy thing going. He's not from Texas. He's not from Arizona. He's from Ohio. But let me tell you, there's parts of Southern Ohio, uh, not too far from Kentucky, that actually fit his mold better than you'd think. But this shocks me. I thought Ohio had a pretty rich history in this sport, but uh, this is the first? Yeah, he's the first guy to win a premier class from Ohio. So the cowboy kid puts his name at the, the first on the list. There has been, you got Gary Semex, who's got a podium in the Premier class back in the 70s and in, in early 80s. You've got guys like Brock Sellards and Jeremy Buell that won in the small bike class back in the 90s. Uh, but he's the first, he's the first to win the Premier class. So uh, he etches his name for Ohio right there, Weech. Wow, that's unbelievable. Anything else uh, that you've seen this season or with Plessinger that's of note? Yeah, you know, there's one where I'm probably going to have to eat my words a little bit here, but we've had two new winners in the first three rounds. Uh, the last time we had two new winners was actually all the way back in 2009. We had Josh Grant. He won one first race of his rookie year. And then you had Ryan Villapoto. He won two that year. So hopefully we get to see another one from AP. But JT, how difficult do you think that's going to be for him? Well, I, I would have said... It would have been incredibly difficult, but his riding has really kind of changed my opinion of what's possible for him. Now, again, all the reasons it's so difficult to win still ring true. And when you think about Cooper Webb hasn't won, Eli Tomac hasn't won, Ken Roxon hasn't won, Jet has only gotten one podium. It's going to be a really difficult challenge every time that gate drops. Uh, but for you, Clinton, specifically, you're still in there. There's been three races and three winners. 
it's going to be a really boring rest of the way if that's all we get is these three. But uh, your prediction of three winners still holds true. So I'm going to go easy. I'm not going to get crazy and tell you you're wrong yet because mathematically you're still correct for the moment. I got I got a week Ooh, to go. You're in dangerous turf. Yes, Clinton, race day live. You and JT battled at Anaheim. You like your chances of only three winners now? It's not looking good right now. It's not looking good given this parody that you guys talked about earlier and – and uh, yeah, seeing AP and Jet up there as new winners this year, I think I'm in trouble for my uh, prediction of three winners, guys. Uh, if it comes to more surprising race results, sometimes it's fun to be wrong when you don't predict that. So hate to say it, I think I'm going to root against you here. Yeah, I'm, o- I'm okay with that one, Weege. <laughs> All right, we'll see you down on. Thanks, guys. Before we go, let's show you how to watch our next two races in this series because we do have a change coming a day race at Detroit. But first, Anaheim 2, we've changed those as well. We're matching the West Coast events with Eastern time. The gates will drop at 8.30 Eastern this Saturday, and you can watch the racing exclusively on Peacock or the Super Cross Video Pass. And Race Day Live starts at 3 Eastern from Anaheim this upcoming Saturday. But let's mention Detroit here the next weekend. That will be a day race, 3 o'clock, and that is so we can go live on NBC, which is always a huge boost for the sport. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I love having all of those extra eyeballs on the sport, introducing it to people that just may be clicking through channels and say, wow, that looks really interesting. And I think there's something to be gained from that. And I don't need any more reason to be nervous, but here we are on the Big Bird, on NBC, on Saturday afternoon. So uh, that's going to be awesome. And I hope everybody tunes in. It's no joke. Like in the most unscientific format, I can tell you that the only time people in my neighborhood are like, hey, I saw you on TV over the weekend when I'm walking to the mailbox is when we're on NBC. So that'll be a big one in Detroit. And what a series we have brewing over these next couple of weeks. We will see you this time in Anaheim and see if the parody continues.